This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Murder and Such contains true stories about murders, the macabre, true crime, serial killers, and other dark subject matter. This includes adult themes, explicit language, descriptions of gore, violence, and other information provided by news articles, witness testimony, and public record. Murder and Such is not intended for all audiences, and although warnings will be set in place, listener discretion is still advised. Hello there, and welcome back to another episode of Murder and Such. I am your host, Hunter. If you can imagine that, I actually got another episode out within like, eh, I mean, it wasn't a month and a half between the last one and this one, but I've got a new episode for you. So buckle in. But before I get into the episode, I do have my Patreon shoutouts that I would love to throw out there for my new and existing patrons who have either joined or have upped their pledges. So a special thank you to Sophie Atkinson for joining the Murder and Such Patreon page. And a lovely thank you to a longtime supporter by the name of Brandy Bowden for jumping her pledge up from $1 to the $5 executive tier level. And if you would like to join the Patreon and help fund the back end of my show, you know, buy some treats for my cat, you can find that at patreon.com backslash murder and such. Again, I do have, speaking of my cat, my Vincent the Podcat t-shirts that are available on the merch store, and you can find that in the description of this episode. But I'm going to take a word from my YouTube listeners to tell me to shut the hell up and start getting into the episode. So, let's start rolling with episode 86. There's a lot of questions to someone's mentality when they want to become a police officer. I believe the first question is, why? Why would somebody want to become a law enforcement officer? To help their community? To bring people to justice? Maybe the sense of power that they have when they put on the badge? Honestly, who's to say? 
Of course, we have a vast opinion when it comes to what possesses an officer to do their job, and I can't speak on behalf of every officer, but with ones like Derek Chauvin, who justifiably was convicted of the murder of George Floyd, he thought that his badge would give him an invincible shield that would protect him from legal ramifications. Thankfully, it didn't, and he is now sentenced to 22 and a half years behind bars. And I hope he's buried under the jail in Minnesota. But that's just my personal opinion. Like I've always said with my show, I support law enforcement to an extent, but I'll judge each and every officer on an individual basis. Much like I did with Daniel Holtzclaw and Gerard Schaefer. I will be judging this former officer on an individual basis, but let's just say that I'm a little bit more dead set on my feeling about him as a person and a former cop. Before I get flooded with being pro-cop or anti-cop, I will remind you that the two concepts of believing in law enforcement and holding them to a higher standard can exist in the same thought process. You can thank Jon Stewart for that one. With this one, there will be a lot of audio from the suspect in this case who was finally brought in after the murder of a man named James Appleton but the skeletons in this man's closet would be much, much older and finally bring closure to a case that happened about 20 years prior. But as always, my name is Hunter, and you're listening to Murder and Such, and this is episode 86, Grant Hardin. If you've been listening to the show for quite some time, you would know that I like to do things chronologically. I want to give a special thank you to my good friend and now research partner, Casey, for helping me with this episode. Casey has been incredible to the Murder and Such team, and when I say team, it's just me and Casey, but her research went above and beyond, and I can't thank her enough for everything that she's added to this episode. So please welcome Casey and thank her for her amazing work on this episode. But the first part of this episode is going to take us back to the town of Rogers, Arkansas. The year is 1997. On November 9th of that year, it was a sunny day with a high in the mid-50s, a typical late fall morning for a schoolteacher by the name of Amy Harrison when she was preparing for class for the following week. Rogers was not a massive city. Looking at historical data, the estimated population in the year 2000 was a little over 38,000 people, which gives more credence to the fact that Frank Tillery Elementary School had also harbored people during the week for Bible study and for service. But at roughly 9 o'clock a.m., nature had called and Amy had to use the restroom. With people congregating in the cafeteria area of the school, she went to the restroom that was located in the teacher's lounge. After finishing up, she was met at the door with a pistol to her face by a man sporting a stocking cap, sunglasses, but oddly enough was not wearing any shoes at all and was incredibly careful not to touch too many surfaces. Amy recalled the pistol was a small service pistol with many scratches on it, yet his face was still obstructed with the hat and the sunglasses. While in the restroom, the attacker forced Amy to masturbate the attacker, then herself. After that, he proceeded to orally rape Amy in the restroom. 
Amy took note that the attacker was not wearing any underwear at the moment. She, in fear of her life, abided by his set of rules and did as she was told. He then forced her into a classroom and proceeded to undress her and vaginally rape this innocent teacher. One thing the killer didn't necessarily account for was ejaculating on her leg, something that will come back much, much later. When he was done with his brutal attack of this teacher, he took her underwear from the scene and then fled. Immediately, Amy called the police at around 11.32 that morning. When they arrived, they made contact with Amy, and she had discussed not only what happened, but the very odd thing that he was doing while he was assaulting her. Allegedly, the attacker was being extra cautious, being sure not to leave any fingerprints on any of the surfaces. He kept asking her odd questions such as, Do you recognize my voice? Which is strange, because to recognize someone's voice, you would have to have either had met them before, or maybe you're just some shitty podcaster. She described how he used her pants to cover her head and shield her eyes from any physical features that might give away who her attacker was, and when it came to the gun, the pistol itself was engraved with the letters R, G, E, and R, which signifies it was most likely a Ruger pistol. When it came to a description of the attacker, Amy had described him as being 20 to 30 years old, between 5 foot 8 and 6 inches tall. He was not overweight, but he definitely had what she called a beer belly, and then also had a flat and wide nose, and for his hair, it was a light reddish and blonde beard, but couldn't get much of a description of the hair on the top of his head since it was obfuscated by the stocking cap that he wore. But the one piece of evidence that she also had was that the attacker didn't know what they had left. The ejaculate that was on Amy's leg was quickly swept up by Amy during the attack and she wiped it on her shirt, which preserved a DNA profile. Even back in 1997, state crime labs were able to discern one set of DNA from another, even though it's not as widely used as it is today, but her quick and courageous thinking is something that is incredibly admirable in this case. From what it seemed, this attacker knew what he was doing. He was methodical, articulate, careful, but even in the middle of him brutally raping a woman, he still made a mistake that would come back to haunt him nearly two decades later. And once again, thanks to Casey, I now know that back in 1997 in the state of Arkansas, the statute of limitations would last only six years. For a crime that's committed so often, such as rape and sexual assault, any chance of getting someone arrested for an attack, even when you don't know who they are, practically vanishes after six years. So the Arkansas State Crime Lab was working against the clock to try to determine who this attacker was and cross-reference that information with the state and nationwide database to get their guy and bring him to justice. After analyzing the profile, however, they found no matches. If this person had done it before, they had been careful enough not to commit any other crimes that would get a DNA profile from them into a database. The results would also take a lot of time, and with a six-year statute of limitations, time was running out. That is when I give massive credit to the Benton County, Arkansas Prosecutor's Office, because although the case had practically gone cold, with the evidence 
files, composite sketches, and DNA profile, the prosecutors released their first ever warrant for John Doe on November 11th of 2003 for the rape and kidnapping of Amy Harrison, thus keeping the case alive and well and keeping the DNA profile in the national database to try to find a match eventually and bring that person to justice. All it really was at that point was a hope and a prayer. Somebody in Arkansas knew something. Somebody had to have known who Amy was and where she would be that day. Could it be a possible stranger or a familiar acquaintance? Most likely the latter, because the time, effort, and planning that goes into leaving behind very little evidence, masking your face, and making sure that your identity is hidden from this person, let alone asking them if they recognize your voice, there's no way that this person didn't know who Amy Harrison was. But the other underlying question was, is this the only time that this person had brutalized an innocent woman, or is this a repeated offender in the same style and manner? Arkansas had a John Doe that they were looking for that could still be on the loose, possibly raping, sexually assaulting, and beating women. They had to figure out who this person was. The case then goes cold and nobody is held accountable. No answers, no arrests, no convictions. And almost as fast as the news spread about the attack, the news about John Doe died down. Yet, the warrant was still active. Now let's get back to the focal point of this episode, a man by the name of Grant Hardin. Grant had a very checkered past, punctuated by periods of anger and resentment either towards his parents or his peers, but it had seemed that at a younger age he had decided that he wanted to start becoming somebody with more authority, specifically law enforcement. He was born on December 6th of 1968 in Arkansas, and at the tender age of 21, Grant had graduated from the Arkansas Law Enforcement Training Academy, and he was hired by the Fayetteville, Arkansas Police Department on August 8th of 1990. He had finally got his job and was given a badge, a gun, and all the authority that he so desperately wanted. According to Grant's very own LinkedIn page, it said that he worked doing patrol, traffic, night business patrol, DWI enforcement, traffic accidents, emergencies, and investigations, physical arrests, and warrants served. Yet, this would be incredibly short-lived because on May 22nd of 1991, Grant got himself a nice little letter from the chief of police. It read the following. Dear Officer Hardin, Effective today, your employment with the Fayetteville Police Department is terminated. Since your employment on August 8th of 1990, your field training officers, supervisors, and I have observed your performance and determined your efforts fall short of the average probationary officer. Your tendency not to accept constructive criticism, along with indecisiveness under stressful situations, played a major role in my decision. Another element in my decision was the finding of sustained in CPS investigation 91-3-1. Sincerely, Richard L. Watson, Chief of Police. End quote. Now I can't really find what sustained CPS investigation meant, but apparently that 
can't be good. Grant is a hothead who can't take criticism, and while most police officers are given a year of probationary time to make sure they don't fuck up when hired, Grant obviously was considered a liability. According to Grant, he said that he was fired because he discovered that other officers were taking things like drug and alcohol that they confiscated off of suspects and using it for their own personal use. He also stated that after he turned in the officers at work, his work became hostile to the point where they had just decided to terminate him. Yeah, right. In an article that I have found from Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, Grant had stated, quote, I would not just bend the law to keep my job. So in the end, I lost my job. Yeah, come to find out all of his claims were complete bullshit. But that didn't stop him from wanting to become a cop with another department. The next job that he would snag up would be a patrolman in the city of Huntsville in November of 1991. According to his LinkedIn, he was tasked with DWI and traffic enforcement, night patrol, field training officer, and criminal investigations. As you can imagine, he also couldn't be trusted to take criticism lightly, so he had just resigned in June of 1992. So after two failed stints with two separate jurisdictions, he applied to the Eureka Springs City Police Department in 1993 and stated that one of the reasons he resigned from Huntsville was because they, quote, expected him to treat people unfairly, end quote. Whatever that meant, I had no idea. He was hired for various jobs within the department, but wasn't made into a full-time patrolman until May of 1994. So by this time, it's the longest-running police department job that he had in his entire career. Much like his other jobs, he was tasked with DWI enforcement and deterrence, patrol for neighborhood and businesses, traffic, patrol, and law enforcement on also investigations. But he was part-time at first, and then he was promoted to full-time in May of 94, but even though he was brought on, he still had some issues yet again with his duties and that was in March of 1993, and he had decided that he wasn't going to attend a mandatory meeting nor a court appearance, which he was reprimanded for. Then in September of 93, Officer Dipshit had decided to drive the wrong way down a one-way road and then taken off patrol for a month because of his actions, but still attained his full-time position over a year later. After he was hired on, you'd think that that'd keep his ass in check, but let's just say that... We're not talking about the smartest crayon in the tool shed with this guy. In April of 1995, not remembering about how he was reprimanded about two years prior for not attending a mandatory meeting, he decided again not to attend another mandatory meeting and got his ass in trouble for that. But now, in September, the same year, he had allegedly pepper sprayed a suspect in the face in which the suspect had to spend a night in the hospital because... Mr. Harden had apparently emptied half a can into the man's eyes, which could have resulted in the suspect losing their eyesight. The final incident with him came in October of 1996, when Officer Dick Fart had decided to falsify an official document. Considering he had such a lengthy history of not taking things seriously, using his authority for the worst reasons, and honestly just not being a good officer, he had been allowed to resign instead of being fired. 
His record also indicated that he filed for unemployment benefits, but he was denied. From there, he went back to working a normal job, with normal benefits, and thankfully, for at least 13 years, was not given a gun or any sort of authority over the general public. In 1997, he was hired as a chemical and hazardous material handler for the Polymer Group Incorporated in Rogers, Arkansas. He worked with plastics and non-woven material for production, and he did that for about five years and then went on to work for the Clorox company as a technical process operator and human resource coordinator, where he worked there for an additional 11 years. But for Grant, that just wasn't enough. So if you add up his private sector jobs, you'd know that his other jobs would add up to 16 years. But earlier, I said that he didn't have a law enforcement job for 13 years. Well, that's because in 2009, he had petitioned to become a constable for the township of Benton County, where he was a, quote, constitutional officer delegated by electors to preserve the peace and provide security for township people, as well as uphold the state's constitutional government for the people of the state and township, end quote. He was a constable for a year from 2009 to 2010, then for another year from 2013 to 2014. This job was unpaid, offered no benefits, no reimbursement program, but he still couldn't let go of that notion of authority. So that's when he had decided to become a deputy sheriff for Benton County Sheriff's Department in 2013. When hired on, it was his first paid law enforcement job that he had since he resigned his position back in 1997. He finally had his notoriety back, and although he wasn't seen as a decent sheriff, he still had some fucking scary secrets that nobody had known about. He stayed with the sheriff's office until January of 2015, then he ran as a police chief for Gateway Police Department and was hired on in January of 2016. This would be a very short-lived experience as he had resigned only four months later, stating that he intended to focus on his family and continue his studies at the Northwest Arkansas Community College, in which he acquired his criminal justice degree later in 2016. In the meantime, after he had resigned as police chief, he started becoming a corrections officer at the Northwest Arkansas Community Correction Center in Fayetteville, Arkansas, until... well the main reason why I started covering this case. I'm going to take a small break, go give my cat some treats, and I'll be right back. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back. And let's start talking about what had happened. I'm going to take the chamber one. I know we have... James Chamberlain. Okay, yeah. uh, I, did you used to be a police officer somewhere? Or, uh, I recognized you, but I wasn't 100% sure where I knew you from. But somebody said that you used to be a police officer in Gateway or yeah. something like that. Okay. Um, I a constable. You were a constable here too. For Benton County? Yeah. For Benton County. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Now, what did Grant do to get himself inside of an interrogation room? One that he had people in pretty sure earlier in his career, but now he was the suspect. One thing that you need to remember about investigators is the fact that they know what happened. Granted, maybe not the full extent of what had taken place, but they know that somebody knows something. And with what happened on February 23rd of 2017, Grant Hardin definitely knew something. Okay, um, here's the thing. I want to talk to you about what, what you've done today, okay? Um, can you just take me through when you woke up this morning to when you got stopped by the police out there in, in uh, what's the name of that road that you're on? I'm sorry, I'm going to drop again. Ridge? I'm not going to say anything after I've been rid of those rights yet. Okay, why, why don't you want to talk to me about your day? I don't know what's going on. I am kind of sickly <laughs> to, uh, to what I'm here for and things. Okay. So you don't want to explain what you've done today? Did you? Um, is there a reason behind that? You read me my rights, and I don't know why. And so, what was the first thing said? I have the right to remain silent. Okay. So you're telling me that you don't want to talk to me right now? I, I'm going to remain silent. Although Grant Hardin was kind of a bumbling, I don't even know what to really call him, he definitely got his associate's degree in criminal justice because in 2010, there is a Supreme Court decision of Berghuis versus Tompkins in which if a suspect is Mirandized and they have expressed their right to remain silent or ask for an attorney, interrogations have to cease as well as questions. Grant said that he was going to remain silent, but I can't say for sure if these detectives actually got that information or not, because they just continued questioning him. I, I'm going to remain silent. Okay, cool. Hang tight right here for just a few minutes, okay? Before this interrogation started, they did a couple of things. They asked him if he was right or left-handed, in which Grant said he was right-handed. They searched his person for any dangerous weapons and even did a swab of his hands for any gunpowder residue. Now, why would they be checking for gunpowder residue? Well, earlier in the day, midday of February 23rd, 2017, it was a nice 80-degree day in Garfield, Arkansas. For Benton County, 
It's a very rural area, has a small town feel, and pretty much in the middle of fucking nowhere. It looked like an ordinary situation. A broken down vehicle on the side of the road, and a bystander stopped to help. This bystander, by the name of John Bray, didn't know it was about to become a crime scene. Not reading too much into it, he continued his drive when he heard a loud boom, and he looked in his rearview mirror and could see that a white Monte Carlo was coming up fast right behind him. The car wound up turning down a dirt road not too long after that. Following his instinct, Bray decided to turn around and go back and see what was going on. The truck was still parked when Bray noticed that the driver was slumped over his steering wheel. He knew it was definitely not an ordinary situation at this point, so he flagged down the next car he saw, who just so happened to be his own nephew. His nephew had called the police for a possible murder. When the police arrived, they found the victim, James Appleton, slumped over his steering wheel with what appeared to be a single gunshot wound to the head. Since John Bray was considered an eyewitness, he provided police with a detailed account of the events that led up to the discovery of James Appleton. When he asked if he could name the suspect, he immediately named Grant Hardin. They asked if he was sure that it was Grant, and he said, well, he'd known Grant his entire life, and that Hardin lived literally right around the corner. Garfield is incredibly small being only about 862 residents. People like that kind of stand out. Since he was so sure, he had led the police to Grant's house that was less than a mile away, and the white Monte Carlo was just sitting there, right there in the driveway. They tried making contact with Hardin in the residence, but officers weren't successful, determining that nobody was home. They headed back to their patrol cars, but before heading back to their cars, one officer took note and he saw what would appear to be brain matter and blood on the hood and side quarter panel of the passenger side of the Monte Carlo. Later we find out that Grant pulled up besides James's truck. He didn't even get out of the car, he just pulled out his gun from the passenger side window and he shot into the driver's side window of James Appleton's truck, striking him in the head and killing him instantly. What was James doing at the time that he was murdered? He pulled his truck off the side of the road and was just making a phone call to his brother. That's it. No sign of road rage. There was no incidents that anybody had seen that would provoke Grant Hardin into murdering this man for no fucking reason. So now you understand why the investigators have Grant, why they took a swab of his hand to see if there's any gunpowder residue, because they were trying to find out if this was the man who just committed first-degree murder. And the detectives in the case didn't care that he said he was going to remain silent. They keep their investigation going. By the way, I'm Detective Cordier. I think we met once before. Probably so. Yeah, yeah. Back when I was on patrol. Okay, I talked to my boss. Maybe I think I was confused, or I may have confused you on what's going on here. Um, I can't tell you exactly why you're here, and you being a police officer, you, you understand that. Um, I need to rule you out as a suspect in a crime that's been committed. 
and that's why we got you here, because we need to talk to you, find out where you're at. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so I, I, I don't know if I scared you at the beginning or, or what, but that's why I was trying to, and I can't, you see you see the position that I'm in, I can't tell you why you're here, but at the same time, I, I need to, I need to rule you out into something. Does that, does that make sense? I'd say it's a little uncouth that you're making an excuse of why the interrogation is continuing, but I'm willing to hear this detective out. Yes, I I would have liked to but before yeah. the rights were read. So okay. not knowing what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, and you I understand as a detective, we have we read those rights to everybody who comes in here. It's not just you, but when we interview, you know, kids and it's everybody. Once you come into our facility, we, we, that's something we have to do. It's not something, um, it's not just something we're doing for you. It, it happens to everybody that walks through this room and talks to us because I mean, you know, it's just like anything else that we do. We have to, we have to cover all of our bases and that's what we did by, by reading you those rights. So we need to know, I mean, does that make sense? Like, I, I don't, I know you've been a police officer for a while now, so you've got, you understand you know, how, how, how everything works. And so I've got to rule you out as a suspect. And if I can't, you know, if I can't do that, then we're at a standstill. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. So where, what happened today? Where, like, can you walk me through your day about what happened today? I have to remain silent. Okay. On that. Okay. So you're telling, right. okay. So you're telling me you did do something today that was, that was wrong then. <laughs> Is that what I mean? Is that what I'm getting at? I mean, I'm just if, okay. So you're you just don't want to talk to me because well, what I reason? I don't understand what you know, uh, they snatched me up out there and nobody told me anything. I don't understand. Okay. What? Why I couldn't be told something? What's going on? And and uh, okay. So did you? I guess my question is this: knowing what I just told you, okay. I guess if it was me and I was, you know, if I was in your position, I'd be like, hey, James, I did this, I was at, or Grant, I did this, I was at, you know, here, 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 and here, and I would just be done with it, and that way you can get out of here. But at this point, like, I can't clear you from this because you could still be, potentially be a suspect. Yes, this episode will have a lot of interrogation audio, but the thing that I do like about this detective is that he's starting to play into Grant's ego a little bit. The parts where he's saying, I'm just trying to help you, and he can't rule you out as a potential suspect. He also starts asking him questions like his job history, specifically knowing that he's a police officer and he knows what the Miranda rights entail. Knowing that he wasn't at his house shortly after the murder of James Appleton, they managed to actually get Grant into custody because they were stopping all traffic that were coming in and out of the crime scene of where James Appleton's body was found. They just so happened to find Grant Hardin inside of a black Honda Civic with his wife and his daughter, and he was detained on the scene but they also brought in his wife and his daughter for interrogation. 
So at this point, the two detectives that are interrogating Grant Harden are getting very frustrated with his refusal to talk. I, I don't know. I don't even know what to, to say at this point. You realize that I'm trying to help you out here. I'm trying to get you out of here quicker. And you're just sitting here. Well, I'm not free to go in. No, you're not free to go. Why? Because I've got, I've got to get to the bottom of an investigation, a very serious criminal matter. Okay. Okay. And right now you're a potential suspect in that. <sighs> Does that make sense? I, I don't understand why I'm a suspect. No. Well, that's for me to know and for you to tell me why you're not a suspect. I, I'm being silent. Well, I can see that. Where do you live at? We can do this all night. I mean, it doesn't bother me. You're going to continue to be a suspect until I find out otherwise. Okay. The detectives leave the room, and Grant decides to get up and start knocking on the interrogation room door. Even after knowing exactly why he's there, exactly what had happened, he's just worried about making it to his third shift job at the correctional facility. The amount of stones on this guy, just playing dumb, thinking that he's not going to get caught for this, yeah, he has no idea the world of hurt that he's about to enter into. Boy. Right? So okay. you, you don't want to be that guy. I mean, you know, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. But well, I understand what you're saying. I mean, like I said, if it's I just weird, I'd like to help. But um, well, I mean, I think you can. You know, <laughs> right? Right. I mean, I think you can. But that, uh, I mean, you don't. I mean, you don't want to talk to me. You know. But those guys, I'll uh, I'll figure out where they. I don't know where they went, okay. but I'll figure out where they're at and let them know that you're trying to get out of here. All right. So, and let him know that you want to help. Right? Right. Okay. All right. Thank you. 
you can call me an asshole or a cynic or whatever you want to. I don't care. But when the detective comes back in, to me, it's absolutely hilarious how he handles it. Hey, Brian. Yes, sir. No, I'm just ready to go. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not ready for you to go yet, so you're not going to be able to go. I've got other things that I'm doing right now. So okay. did you need to talk to me, or did you, like, what was the deal? Well, I, I just went to, I was going to go. Oh, okay. you're not going to go. Tell you that. Okay. Yeah, no, you're not going to go. But I'm going to. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. Again, sorry, but it's kind of funny that, like, can I come out of my room? No, you, you can't come out of your room. Thanks. See ya. It's pretty pretty funny to me. When the detective comes back in, he informs Grant that he has his daughter and his wife in for questioning. While Detective James Chamberlain is interrogating Grant Hardin, Detective Cordero is getting a timeline of events from Grant Hardin's daughter and his wife. Cordero does come back into the interrogation room and starts asking Grant his timeline of what he did throughout the day. Did you sleep in today? Yeah, I bet you did. You could have got to work tonight, huh? Yeah. Yeah. What time did you get up? Oh boy. I don't even, I don't even know. I'll probably around noonish. Around noon? That's usually the time I got up too. I'd sleep in as long as I could. Around noon. Did you get anything done today? When she asks him that, he says that he was watching some TV shows, possibly some MASH that might be playing on the channel TV Land. He went on to say that he watched the show Gunsmoke and then the Mad Max movie. The thing that I really respect about Detective Cordero is her demeanor. She's friendly, she's upbeat, she's just trying to talk to him. But the thing to remember is she is still investigating him 
with him sitting not even five feet away from her. She then asks him what he had for breakfast. He said that he had frosted flakes, and she's building a rapport with him. She then asks if he had anything on his honey-do list for his wife. The only thing that he said he did for her was he got her pills situated, because Grant's wife was involved in a drunk driving accident where she was hit by a drunk driver, and that has caused various health problems throughout the rest of her life. Cordero is sympathetic to him wanting to take care of his wife. She's digging in a little bit deeper with him, trying to get an understanding of this man and trying to get him to mention one specific thing. Did you get an experience outside today at all? Not really. No? Oh my gosh. I know. Did you a little bit at least get outside, do any yard work today, anything like that? No? Okay. Uh, see. Fed the chickens. Oh, did you? Fed the chickens and threw some seed out, some grass seed out there in front of the front porch. Oh, yeah? Right. Does that take a long time? No. I've never done that before. No, I've had the dog. Uh, my dog used to be on the leash up there. He runs off. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. To anyone else, it may seem normal conversation to mention that he had to put out some grass seed. But that correlates with what his wife had told them. With Linda being interrogated by Cordero, she had told him that he had come inside from doing the grass seed, but he very quickly wanted to go out for dinner. He was acting weird at dinner, and he started going to the restroom, but he took an exceedingly long time inside of the restroom. When he came back out and they were eating dinner, he had decided not to eat his salad. But then he uttered something. He had said, No matter what happens, just know, I love you. Linda went on to say that when he was spreading the grass seed, he was wearing a white t-shirt and jeans, matching John's account of what he was wearing. But then he changed before they left, and he had left the clothes that he was wearing before on the bedroom floor. I'm going to take another small break, and I'll get back with the conclusion of Grant Hardin.
Welcome back, and this will be the last part about what happened with Grant Hardin. During the interview, Detective Cordero was questioning him mainly about what he was doing that night. She even went on to ask what time he had gone to dinner. Got your, well, you got some stuff done outside, pass some time inside. What was your wife doing? She's still watching TV? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, what time do I go to dinner? I know that didn't y'all, didn't you mention get back from dinner or come back from dinner? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't. She probably told y'all that, or heard me Oh, I thought somebody had mentioned it earlier, like mm-hmm. when we were still out on the road. Oh. I thought you had mentioned it to somebody whenever you had pulled mm-hmm. up. I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what time I, uh, was, what time did we get to dinner? Or what time did you leave the house for dinner? Mm. You remember? No. Where'd y'all go eat? Colton's. Oh, hey, that's mm. a good place. Well, I let my daughter decide. Ah, <laughs> she's a daddy's girl. Mm-hmm. Did you eat anything good at Colton's? It's a steak. Hey, can't go wrong there, right? Right. Alright. That's awesome. <laughs> Again, Grant knows exactly what Cordero is doing, and he thinks that he can outsmart the law. She then starts asking him if he had a chance to freshen up because he was outside laying all that grass seed. And this is what he said. Well, did you, uh, did you get a chance to at least freshen up after laying all that seed down? No? No, really. Is it, you went and did all that just like that? Well, pretty much, yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Uh, you dressed so nice no. to go lay seat down. No, I, I was probably ready to go eat. Oh, gotcha. I told them, let's go eat. told them, let's get ready to go eat somewhere in there. So, oh, yeah? Yeah. Awesome. So you didn't change or anything before you guys left? I'm sure I put a different shirt on, probably, yeah. Oh. <laughs> hey, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I would, too. It was so hot outside. I'm sure you were sweating. Oh, yeah, I think I had my old, yeah. What'd you have on? I had just a little t-shirt. Uh, what color was it? Gray, okay. I think. Cordero already knows that his clothes are on the floor of the bedroom. She's just trying to get him to admit that he was wearing a white shirt and some blue jeans. Of course, he's not going to admit that, but little does he know that investigators are already going to the house to look for the clothes that he was wearing when he killed James Appleton. The interrogation continues. On the hour and a half long audio that I have of this, we're at about 55 minutes and 20 seconds into the interrogation. Of course, I edited out parts that really aren't all that relevant, such as Cordero then talking about how cold it is in the interrogation room and how she has to use a blanket to keep warm because it is entirely too cold in that police department. But then she tells him that she's going to go check on their process and see what's going to happen next. And that is when Grant says this. Well, let me go check on their process. I'll come chit-chat more. I don't know nothing else to do with them. Are you okay with that? Yeah, that's fine. All right, I'll be right back. Just apologize ahead of time that, hey, that no. I do this silent. Hey. 
No, I enjoy I'm talking to you. Hey, it's okay. Right to remain silent. You don't have to explain it. I get it. I enjoy talking, so I'll be back. When Cordero comes back in, she starts asking him questions about when he was arrested. He said he was driving and he saw the roadblock and they had him pull off to a different road and then they had him arrested and now he's here. When she starts asking him about the process, he continues on with, you guessed it. I'm going to ask you to please forgive me. No, you're fine. But I'm just going to have to stick back to my Yeah, no, anytime. I'm thing. just tip-tapping. I know you are. You're fine. If you feel comfortable. I appreciate you. Yeah, if you feel comfortable, you don't have to say anything. But. You're fine. But I, I just ain't being rude. But I'm no, just you're not being rude. Quiet. Yeah, no. Hey, just tip-tapping. I get it. I really do. The best way to pass time, really. It's getting late. Time is. It is two eleven. What? Yes. It is late. It is late. So Grant didn't make it to work that night. Can't imagine why. They later go on to discuss why Grant is in there, and honestly, Cordero is sitting there telling him that she wants to help him, but she can't do anything without his cooperation. She's definitely got this sweet attitude towards him, this compassionate Southern Belle attitude that just wants to get to the bottom of what happened earlier in the night. I want to help you. That's the bad part. I want to help you figure it out. All I can do is sit here and say that I'll listen, work it out with you, figure it out together. But you have to be willing to talk to me about it. I'm a pretty real person. Pretty straightforward. I know it's uncomfortable. I know it's uncomfortable and nerve-wracking sitting in a room by yourself with people that you've worked with in the past. Sometimes we overreact. Sometimes we're put in situations we don't want to be put in. Mm -hmm. Like I'd rather, you know, have met you again outside having coffee <laughs> instead of seeing you for the second time in here. But, I think you just made a mistake today, or somebody made a mistake today, and I think you know what happened. I just want you to help me understand it, because I really do. I want to understand what happened. And I want to be able to stand on your side and say, hey, this is what happened. And he was up front. He was honest. And he explained it. And cooperated. Does he need a lawyer? Who? The guy you're talking about. Me. 
I think, honestly, I think you're the only one who can make that call. But I think you're an honest man. I think you've been an honest man. I think. I'm not just going to be quiet. You can be quiet. I'll keep talking. No, I'm serious, though. I think you're an honest man. I think you've done a lot of good in your life. All you've done is spent your life helping others, just like I have. Now you've had something happen, and you're trying to figure it out, but how are you supposed to figure it out on your own? Now, I can't say for sure whether it's agitation that makes him ask the next question, or maybe the fact that he's tired. To be honest, I don't understand how anybody could be tired after killing somebody for no apparent reason. But he goes on to ask this. Are you guys going to arrest me for something? I don't know. Can't answer that. Oh. Did something happen today? How long can you detain me? Well, it's an ongoing investigation. What does that mean? It means they're still looking into everything. Well, and honestly... Are you going to apologize, but I'm just going to close my eyes? No, I get it. It's okay. <clears throat> like I said, I'm just trying to figure out the holes, you know? Detective Cordero then leaves the interrogation room to go get Grant another cup of water. In the video, you can see that he's just sitting there with his hands on his lap, nodding off, or attempting to nod off. Cordero then comes back inside and he starts asking her what her first name is and the origins of that. And she keeps on asking him for his side of the story. If Grant was as well-versed in criminal justice as he claimed to be and the associate's degree that he acquired, he would have known that they're supposed to stop asking him questions. Then again, we're talking about Grant Hardin. Cordero then leaves the interrogation room again, saying that she needs to get a drink of water and walk around just to wake up for a little bit. After seven minutes of sitting by himself, Cordero then comes back in and informs Grant that... I can't talk to you anymore because you asked for a lawyer. Um, what I do want you to know is... If you change your mind, you know my name, you can always ask for me, okay? But you have to be the one to re-establish re that, okay? Alright, can you stand up for me? Alright, go ahead and turn around the chair on your back. Capital 
Grant Hardin was booked into the Benton County Sheriff's Department on a capital murder charge. While he was being interrogated, the officers executed a search warrant on Grant's property and his car. However, on June 1st, Grant's attorney said that he wanted a lot of the evidence thrown out due to the fact that it was executed in the middle of the night. So an additional search warrant was executed on June 6th of 2017, and they managed to grab all of these things from his car, which included the front passenger seat, the bottom and top cover, a Bible, black sunglasses, the passenger side upper door panel, the passenger side headliner, airbag cover of the passenger side, the passenger side sun visor, the bottom back seat cover, front driver seat bottom, the front driver seat back, the front passenger seat headrest cover, and a DNA swab from the gear shift. One thing that I found extremely interesting about this was the fact that there were four officers who were on scene when they grabbed that evidence. One of them was Detective Susan Matthews, one was Detective Wayne Scotch, one was Sergeant James Chamberlain, and the one person who gave him an opportunity to get out of this was Detective Nakana Cordero. So despite his attorney's objections to a nighttime search warrant being executed, this only helped them build their case against Grant even further. Which will bring us to October 16th of 2017. Grant Hardin had every opportunity to admit what he had done wrong. But since he was facing a capital murder charge, they later dropped it down to a first-degree murder charge after he had pled guilty to the murder of 59-year-old James Appleton, a man with the rest of his life in front of him. He was a volunteer firefighter. He was a staple in the community because anybody could call on James if they needed a hand with yard work or even some mechanic work. Even with James's family being at the guilty plea hearing, he offered no reason of why he killed James. And to this day, Grant Hardin has never admitted why he killed James. No answers, and very little remorse for what he had done. But that's not where this episode ends. Because do you remember how I said that they grabbed a DNA swab off of the gear shift of his car? Well, one thing that happens when you're arrested and convicted of a crime, they take a DNA sample and they submit it into their system. And just remember that when they served that search warrant for John Doe, that warrant does not expire. This warrant has remained active until today. <clears throat> when it was served on Grant Harden, a white male from Bent County currently serving a 30-year prison term for first-degree murder. RPD detectives received word from the Arkansas State Crime Lab on January 29th that Harden's DNA profile matched the suspect profile for this case. Harden was picked up from the Arkansas Department of Corrections earlier today, returned to the Rogers Police Department, where the warrant was served on him and he was processed. He will be housed at the Bent County Jail for his first court appearance, which will take place uh, later today. 
Grant Hardin was arrested on February 13th of 2018 for the kidnapping and rape of Amy Harrison. At the time of the rape, he was 28 years old, and as you can remember from his history of working with police departments, he was not employed by a police department in 1997. But during his time of working at police departments and seeing investigations, that's how he plotted out his attack against Amy, not wearing shoes, leaving little to no fingerprints around the area. But with Amy's quick thinking of getting the semen sample onto her shirt and them submitting the DNA and also the arrest warrant for John Doe to keep this DNA in the system, we finally had answers and closure to this 20-year-old rape case. At the offset, Grant Hardin pled not guilty to the rape and kidnapping of Amy Harrison. But nearly a year after he was charged with the rape and kidnapping, he eventually pleads guilty. With Amy finally being able to confront this monster face to face, she told him, quote, I know there was nothing I did to make this happen. I could have not done anything differently and definitely did not deserve to be raped. I was just choosing to do the right thing in my life when you bumped into me. She later went on to say, quote, So, now I am going to use my free will to overcome the evil you did to me. I am going to walk out of this building with my family and friends and enjoy the fresh air before I go home. I hope that my story is an encouragement to all survivors who fight for justice. End quote. And I know that I am not a fantastic voiceover person, but instead of me reading a quote from Amy again, I'm just going to let her say it in her own words. <sighs> I'm just so relieved that even after 21 years, it still hit me harder than I thought it was going to reading my statement. Um, but I got to face him. I got to look at him while I read my statement. And that felt really good. And I really cannot say enough about the Rogers Police Department and how wonderful they were just trudging forward. I mean, every year, even after a decade, they still trudge forward trying to solve my case. Um, so yay for the DNA. Um, I just hope that actually getting some justice is inspirational to other people who are survivors. Um, I know it's, even for me, it was very tempting at the very beginning to just say, no, I don't want anybody to know what happened to me. But um, I went ahead and took the chance and uh, believed that I didn't deserve that. And uh, so these guys came in and all here today and I thank Mr. Smith's office for his persistence and keeping me talked down. <laughs> um, anyway, that's all I got. Amy Harrison went on to speak at multiple conferences about her experiences with sexual assault and the justice that came forward much, much later. 
Of course, Grant should have been caught much, much earlier than 21 years after this rape. He was sentenced to 25 years on account of rape and kidnapping each, to be served concurrently after his 30-year sentence for the murder of James Appleton. I can't imagine what it was like for Amy Harrison to finally get the word that the man who had violated her 21 years prior had finally been caught. But maybe the fact that this monster was now off the streets would have been some sort of closure for her. She is a survivor, and Grant Hardin is a monster. Grant Hardin's first chance for parole will be on February 6th of 2054, and until then, he will be incarcerated at the North Central Unit in Calico Rock, Arkansas. I hope for the safety of everyone in Arkansas and the world that he never gets out of prison. But before I end this episode, I want to leave you with this. The Sexual Assault Hotline is 1-800-656-4673. Or 1-800-656-HOPE. Their website, which is RAIN, R-A-I-N-N, dot org, also has a chat now feature where you can speak to somebody right now if you have been a victim of sexual violence. They do amazing work and have even done incredible work for somebody very close to me. But please, if you need help, it's 1-800-656-HOPE or R-A-I-N-N dot org. There's far too many sexual assaults that happen in America and the world. And although Amy Harrison got some justice, there's still trauma that she went through after the attack. So please use that information or pass it on to somebody who you think may need it. There is always help there for you no matter what and just remember that it is not your fault but there is help for you thank you and that is gonna do it for this episode I thank you for joining me on this one. I thank you for listening and leaving a review, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, if possible. After the end of me talking right now, I will get to the elusive podcast review feedback, so just sit tight for that. But if you'd like to follow the show on all the social media garbage, you can find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Murder and Such. And you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, the PlayStation Network, and Snapchat at Huntor27. Another thank you to my fantastic researcher, Casey, for all of her hard work for this episode. And I, yeah, it's the first time I've had somebody help me out with that. And honestly, it helps my mental health to get out of these dark fucking areas it goes into so very, very often. 
But if you do think the show is worth a dollar or two, you can help fund the back end of the show by visiting the Patreon at patreon.com backslash murder and such, and you can donate as little as $1 per episode, or if you'd like to become an executive producer and get a shout out on every episode at the end, just like these people, you can donate $5 per episode. So to my executive producers, I would love to thank Marissa Gabe, Holly Ellie, Stephanie Jacobson, Stephanie Marie, Bex, Mindy Baker, That Dead Body Show, Caitlin Prophet, Michelle Davis, Danielle Kuska, The Strictly Homicide Podcast, The Bama Brew Review Podcast, Aaron Albertson, Michelle Pierce, Brandy Bowden, Martha Pierce, Alex Aguirre, Justin Reebsum, McKenna Johnson, Ariel Safir, Tracy Ford, Stacy Jenks, Dan Sheridan, Benjamin Welch, Ashley Collier, Charkley Daniels, Erica Summers, Nature vs. Narcissism, Sarah Thompson, Big Daddy Thick Dick up in Canada, and my lovely beautiful sister, Sarah. So if you'd like to join them, or you'd like to donate to the show, you can find that at patreon.com backslash murderandsuch. Again, I thank you for joining me on this episode. I used to have the catchphrase of, wear your mask, wash your fucking hands, but, I mean, you should probably still wash your hands because you're probably a filthy animal like me, but get vaccinated when possible, and call somebody that you love today. But as always, my name is Hunter, and you've been listening to Murder and Such. And I will talk to you soon. Take care. Stay tuned for the uh, review review or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Bye! Okay, I'm still here. So I got, I know the last episode I didn't do any of the uh, the thank yous for the five-star reviews, but I know that you guys love them, and I thank you for leaving them. Thankfully, I haven't had any one-star reviews lately, and no, that's not me inviting you to go leave a one-star review, because that kind of sucks. But I did receive since the start of this goddamn show, uh, 500 five stars. And that's fucking awesome. And I have nobody to thank except for all of you. So I'm going to go through these reviews and I'm going to thank you and all of that good stuff. So the first one that I have was from Junk Lover Jenny that said, quote, my new favorite, I wish I had heard episode 56 while I was going through postpartum depression. Host is thoughtful, reasonable, and concise. You can tell the research Hunter does is above average for a true crime pod, in my opinion. Great listen. So, Junk Lover Jenny, um, thank you for that. I, Out of all of my episodes that I've had, the one about Megan Huntsman with postpartum depression, I wanted to touch on something different than just pointing the finger and going, this person's fucking crazy, because some podcasts do that. 
and I knew that there was an underlying issue with Megan Huntsman, with the drug abuse and postpartum psychosis. Uh, she, it was, it was the worst kind of recipe for what happened to her children. So, junk lover Jenny, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you found something out of that episode that kind of struck a nerve with you, and I'm sorry that you went through postpartum depression, but I'm glad that, uh, the, I'm trying to think of how to say this, you're doing, you're, you're better than that, and you're better now, so thank you for the five-star review, Jenny, and I truly appreciate that, so thank you again. The next person I have is by Yes, with two S's, 786, that said, Amazing, with a couple of emojis, and said, I just recently started listening, and I am hooked. Thank you for everything that you do, and for so oh, doing such an amazing job telling the victim stories. You know, that's one thing that I wish I had more information about the victims in this case. Uh... I mean, I did have quite a bit about Amy Harrison and her her drive to never give up the fight. I wish there was more information I could have gotten about James Appleton. But I do try to show my respect for them instead of victim blaming. Because there's a lot of podcasts out there who would rather just joke about the people who have died than... Uh, actually take them seriously and it's kind of sad that it happens within the true crime community itself so yes 786 um thank you for your five-star review and i will always try my best to be respectful to the victims in each case now i do have a very lengthy review that was left in april by sarah hen 24 that said, I love this podcast. Hunter, your voice is perfect for this. I may not always agree with your views, but that's okay. We are not meant to be clones of each other. The, di the diversity in our thoughts and views are pretty much what makes us makes this world go around. Sorry, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning and my eyes are a little shitty right now. You are truly a good person, you are so compassionate, and it's very evident just listening to how you speak about these victims that you hurt for them and their families. You did something for me and I want to thank you. I don't go into details, but you told a story that really made me step back and reevaluate my own views on the topic. Now I have an even broader understanding of the issue and hopefully others do as well. It's the diversity in our thoughts and views that we can learn from if we just hear each other out. You speak often about your own mental health struggles, and I hope you know how awesome you are for recognizing that you need help and getting that help. I have never met you, just a true crime fan that stumbled across your podcast a few weeks ago and decided to binge every single episode. I love the improvements that you've made by adding in the music. I was sad when Haley decided to leave, and I was worried about you. But you took the show and turned it into something extraordinary. Keep up the amazing work. No, Sarah, uh, thank you for... Ugh, I mean, it, I would be remiss if I didn't say boosting my ego, because it very much was 
And I do have a lot of different opinions when it comes to things of a general nature. I mean, for this episode in particular, I think that all cops should submit a DNA test. And that's just my personal opinion on the matter. Because you never know who is and isn't a criminal out there, or who is and isn't one of those DNA samples that's sitting in a nationwide database just looking for the person to match it up with and somebody finally getting their justice. Not everybody agrees with me on that, and I understand that. But you listen to me, and we, I can respect that we have a difference of opinion. As far as the show and, I mean, changing it, yeah, it's. I decided to go solo with the show, and I think that it's changed for the better. And I've learned a lot about vulnerability by making it a solo show. And whether that's good or bad, I know that a lot of people on YouTube just want me to shut the fuck up and get to the story. And it's a much different world on YouTube than it is for a podcast. <clears throat> but I do, uh, I do appreciate a difference of opinion, and I try to empathize with the victims of the cases. And for you to leave a five-star review thanking me for being vulnerable and being myself and even with my mental health struggles that means a lot to me because I'm just some normal ass dude sitting in a house in Dayton, Ohio that's just me but you guys listen and I want you to know that I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to my stupid fucking words and stupid fucking jokes and stupid fucking potty mouth but I do appreciate you and even though I have never met you in particular, Sarah, you still took time out of your day to listen to me and to leave me an amazing review. So I thank you for being who you are. And I don't want you to ever change. You got that? But thank you again, Sarah, for your five-star review. The next person that I have is Annie... It's Annie S. 128... Annie said, New York City listener and fan. I hate the term fan. I prefer the term listeners because fan just goes to my brain. So Annie went on to say, I am employed by a religious cemetery in New York City. Our cemetery does not turn over gravers ever. We take care of our residents like they're our own family. You're wonderful, sound great, and I don't like the sound of my voice too. We get over it. Hunter, keep up the good work. Annie and NYC. Annie, thank you. And also, I love the fact that you referenced the um, the Holt Cemetery incident with uh, Ender Darling. I, I just read something online the other day about uh, somebody stumbling across bones, and you're supposed to sit there with them, and they'll tell you stories and maybe even teach you some magic. Uh, no, you leave them the fuck alone. You call the cops and tell them you found a goddamn femur or a skull, so that way maybe somebody who doesn't know where the loved one went, might get a little bit of closure. But uh, I'm glad that you uh, you do not turn over gravers, ever. That is fantastic, because don't disrespect the dead. Like, in all honesty, when I'm dead, like, I'm, I'm an organ donor, so if somebody wants my shitty pancreas that doesn't work, or my shitty kidneys, like, 
I honestly just want to be cremated and I want to be put into an urn that is just the letter F. That's it. If you get that reference, congratulations. We have circumvented natural English and have gone straight to just, you know what I'm talking about. Press F to pay respects. Uh, so thank you, Annie. Uh, thank you, Annie and NYC. I appreciate you, and thank you for your five-star review. Now, I got somebody, uh, their name is E-M- EMLT123, said, just found you, enjoying it so far, great job with five stars. Uh, well, and then put, thanks. No, thank you. You took, you know, 20 seconds out of your day to drop a five-star review, and I appreciate that. So, thank you so much, emlt 123. I truly do appreciate that. The next person that I have is Les Joe Rowe that said, Great! with five stars and said, Just found this and I really like it. Well, I just really like you listening. That means everything to me. Like I said, taking time out of your day just to listen to my stupid ass talk, that's great. And I truly appreciate it. Uh, the next person is Mags.OK that said, Love the podcast. Just started a commute to work and love listening to this one on the way. Hunter is extremely entertaining and literally says what I'm thinking most of the time. <laughs> I, if, if I'm thinking, if I'm saying what you're thinking all the time, I will try to find a therapist in your area to help you out. <laughs> I don't know half the shit that comes out of my mouth and I, why I hit, still hit the publish button on my hosting service, don't ask me. I cannot be held accountable for that. So, Mags, uh, no. I'm, I'm glad that I'm hanging out with you on your commute to work, and I truly appreciate you leaving a five-star review and helping me out and bringing a smile to my face. But just, if we have the same thoughts, man, do I feel bad for you. <laughs> And then uh, I did get somebody who actually amended a one-star review. Uh, I, I remember in the last time I did one of these, I had a guy that said uh, that said I was Mike Boudet. If you don't know who Mike Boudet is, he's a douchebag from Sword and Scale. Yeah. Uh, so Badarama actually dropped, brought it up from a one-star to a three-star that said, It's Ait, and went on to say, The stories are good. Well... Batarama, thank you very much for amending your review and bringing it back up to, I mean, not a one star and the whole thing about Boudet. Uh, so Batarama, uh, thank you for coming back. And I hope you actually do enjoy these stories. I put a lot of effort into them. And Casey, my new researcher, is, is busting her ass to help me out on this. So... That's going to do it for all of the reviews. Uh, again, if you want to, if you want to drop a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and you leave a written review, I will read it in this area that I have cooked up for doing reviews. And I want to thank you all for all of your five-star reviews. And I know there's like fucking 635 other reviews that I haven't read. Uh, just started doing this thing recently. Again, thank you to Justin Rimmel from Mysterious Circumstances for the idea that I stole from him. But again, I thank you guys for listening. Uh, call somebody that you love today. 
And until the next episode, uh, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye.